Hi, everybody. Welcome to the May 24th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Colorado becoming the first state to cap insulin prices at $100 per month on copays regardless of how much insulin a diabetes patient uses. Jer Governor Jared Polis signed the bill into law this week that aims to subdue the spike in prices over the last few years. Patty Calhoun from Westward, do you see this move being maybe making a precedent for other states? Yes, I think others will follow through. And this is only one of the health-related bills that passed through the legislature. Another one that's probably more important is he signed it last night, the ability to prescribe medical marijuana instead of opioids as a painkiller. That's an important move. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. It's great to have you back. Uh, David, is this the kind of involvement uh, of government getting involved in this kind of a transaction that's, that's good for society, or where do you stand on that? No, the government involvement is, is the cause of the problem in the, the first place, and there is definitely a real problem. Insulin is off patent. There are two manufacturers, so you should have some price competition but instead we have the exact opposite, where insulin prices have, have skyrocketed uh, over the last decades because they do this strategy like, sort of like Viagra and Cialis do, of, well, it's just the two of us, so if you raise your price, I'll raise my price, and, you know, and it, it, it's very good for the profits of the company. And the reason that they get away with that is because people don't pay directly most of the cost because it's, it's third-party payers. So the, insurance, the consumer doesn't care because the insurance company is paying. And likewise, the doctor is prescribing says, well, the insurance company or Medicare or whatever for pay with, will pay for it. So they just jack up prices as, as they can. This doesn't do anything to reduce insulin prices. It just limits the co-pays that individuals have, which is great for them. But the only effect is it's going to jack up insurance costs even more because the insurance companies will just absorb that cost in their general uh, pricing structure. So we have, we have not solved the problem. We've doubled down on the excessive regulation and control and third-party payment system, which caused the problem in the first place. Joey Bunch joins us, uh, the deputy managing editor at Colorado Politics. Joey, uh, you're a man at the Capitol. What uh, what was it like when this bill passed originally? Was did it have was it controversial? Did it have a lot of support? Was this uh, any surprise to see Governor Polis's support? Well, it did get a lot of support. There were some Republicans that got on board with it. But you know, Dave's right. This isn't a price fixing, though it gets perilously co close. It's cost shifting. Uh, it's limiting copays. You know, the problem is, is this drug has been around for a hundred years and we still don't have a generic version of it because the companies are allowed to play this game where they make incremental improvements to the product and they effectively extend their patents. I think if the government wants to get involved, they should get involved with research and getting those generic drugs to market. Uh, but they haven't done that. You know, one thing that's in this bill that probably has the most impact of all is the state attorney's general's office is authorized to do an investigation into why these prices have risen so high and so fast. And that could wind up having longer legs than anything. Natasha Garner, Articles Editor 5280, wraps up the rounds of the panel. Uh, Natasha, what do you think about the impact of this, especially around 
Jared Polis, who I think made a lot of promises and seems to be very interested in uh, doing a lot about healthcare. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the first things that he did was creating one of my favorite named offices, which was for saving people money on healthcare <laughs> office. Um, that was one of the first <laughs> things he did. And of course, his lieutenant governor, her background is all in is heavily in healthcare. This is a huge priority for his administration. So I think what's interesting um, with this this bill, but also other legislation that went through this year, is a start of Polis building out exactly what he sees the future of health care looking like in Colorado. Um, and it certainly sets a tone for what next year will bring, which will probably be more similarly themed bills. The mayoral runoff election between Michael Hancock and Jamie Gillis intensified this week over debate moderators, negative ads, and press conferences. After refusing to participate in a debate moderated by someone who, turns out, works for Mayor Hancock, Gillis said in a news conference that the sexual harassment culture under Hancock is out of control. Meanwhile, the Hancock campaign released two different campaign ads criticizing Gillis that made a wide range of impact throughout the week. Patty, we were lamenting uh, for the last several months, where's the juice in the mayor's race? Well, this week was a downpour. Uh, what did you make of the events that came out? Well, two weeks ago I said I hoped we had a civil campaign, and then last week it didn't look like we were having one. And even as we were sitting here last Friday, it was getting worse when people found out that John Bailey from the Black Roundtable was actually on the Hancock payroll and was supposed to moderate a debate the next day that Jamie Gillis was going to. When that was revealed, Jamie Gillis pulled out of that and did a Facebook Live with Lisa Calderon and Penn Tate. So her group has stayed unified through this. But the negative ads came first from the Hancock administration, one about ICE, one about, I think it was the NAACP, and then Jamie Gillis doubled down. She was the one who brought, she had the press conference on Tuesday to talk about the sex harassment issues and the settlements that had been made, not specifically about sex harassment charges, but things stemming from that, the Wayne McDonald case, Leslie Branch Weiss. So it has only gotten uglier, and we suspect as we speed through the next 10 days, we'll continue to get uglier and uglier. Uh, Jamie Gillis shows when she is cornered, she's actually a good arguer. I think she's gotten better in debates as she's been able to fight with Hancock, and he is certainly not pulling any punches. And that he's not indeed. Uh, David, when you uh, look at the four weeks of the runoff, it is a short-term campaign uh, and uh, momentum is precious. After seeing this last week, who do you think has momentum? Hancock is certainly behaving with the kind of uh, vile desperation, which suggests he doesn't think he has it. You know, part one thing they do is they argue about which candidate developers like more, and that that's one of those impossible riddles. Like, who is worse at golf, Dominic or Dave? And when the exactly. true answer is is both. <laughs> uh, and and I don't think all development is bad. I'm, uh, Rhino is in a lot better shape than it, it's been in in many many decades, and there's there's more jobs and and prosperity and uh, a safer, better better neighborhood. Um, but Hancock's. I can't remember any candidate in my lifetime for mayor of Denver who's gone, gone down such a nakedly race-baiting, lying path as Hancock did this week. He put out this ad saying that Gillis said that all uh, undocumented immigrants are criminals, which is not true as a matter of law, and which she didn't say. She did say she would favor working with ICE to deport illegal aliens who are criminals, which would you think would be a, uh, a good thing for public safety. And uh, Kyle Clark and Channel 9 did a truth test, said it was a, a flagrant lie, and 
it's also a, a drastic violation of Hancock's claim that he wouldn't run negative, he wouldn't do negative campaigning, and he says even this is negative campaigning, and it is not negative campaigning in his view, supposedly. Uh, and his excuse for it is, well, immigrants hear things differently uh, from other people. So when she talks about that subset of, of uh, immigrants who are criminals, according to Hancock, they think, oh, that automatically applies to all of us. That's another way in which he's uh, disgustingly racist in his advertising. Joey, what did you think about the ads? Because it, on one hand, felt to me like uh, this, is, this is real politics. You're ready for a fight. It's bare-knuckled uh, in the ring. But it also felt, uh, if the, uh, seeing the different truth tests and the tone of them, that uh, the, we weren't in Kansas anymore. We were certainly right into the uh, gutter of a congressional or U.S. Senate race, which has no uh, real worry about uh, accuracy. Let's just play on some emotions. But what do you think? Well, you know, this race sure hasn't been what we thought it was going to be about. You know, I thought this race was going to be about growth and development. And in the last week, we've seen that it's really about gender and race. And I don't think either either side is innocent and either side has clean hands in the way these uh, this race has gotten dirty. Um, you know, Gillis has done herself no favors. If she wins this thing, she'll win it despite herself and despite her campaign. You know, I think it was a miscalculation not to do at least some of the the um, the debates that these minority groups were putting on, especially given the mistakes that she's made on not knowing what the NAACP stood for and and uh, having the tacos and lowriders event. So this thing's going to go down to the wire, but I think it's going to be Hancock. You know, people are going to, he's a professional politician, and I think in the end that the professionals are going to win this thing. Natasha, what about the tone for a campaign in Denver? Because I get politics in 2019. It is not exactly a tea party right now. I guess probably tea party is a wrong word. It's probably a lot tea party, but you know what I mean. It's not a garden party. I mean, that's the appropriate phrase. But uh, Denver, it, I don't think, has seen a campaign like this for quite a while. I, mm-hmm. And I, I don't have the exact memories of how dirty the maybe some of the, the web campaigns got in the early 90s. But I also don't think a lot of Coloradans, Denverites, can remember back about how dirty those campaigns got. This seems like a different tone. How does this play in Denver? I think it it does have a different tone, and part of that is because Hickenlooper made a big push when he was running for mayor to have that clean campaign perspective, and we all get along in Denver. This is about the policy and what else. So this does feel different, but the city is very different than in any of those administrations, you know, if if we go back to to Hickenlooper, but to Webb, to Pena, and beyond. Um, And actually, that's something I I wrote about on 5280.com this week, was looking at historical numbers and runoffs and to see if they gave us any clue on what's going to happen um, when ballots come in again. And, and granted, there's a lot of ifs, maybes, buts in there. But one of the things that I think is important is that Mayor Hancock, there's been a lot of han- uh, headlines about how he, uh, no incumbent mayor, has faced a runoff since 95. Um, but Mayor Hancock himself has had at least two other runoffs. And so if there's anyone in the Denver political world who knows what it's like to run a runoff campaign, it's Michael Hancock. He has that experience. So we'll see how, how Denver voters feel about this. I do, there does seem to be a sense of like enough is enough. Can we get back to policy issues? Whether there's enough time to, to sort of turn those ships before those ballots are cast um, is, is what's going to be in question. But I think, um, I, I think there are more than one voter in the, this city who would prefer to get back to some policy questions. Perhaps we'll have a kinder, gentler Memorial Day weekend. Who knows? Mm-hmm. 
Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold raised eyebrows this week over a press release from her office. Griswold admitted that she asked Planned Parenthood for its input on the announcement that her office will restrict travel to Alabama due, due to its new abortion law. Griswold faces accusations of partisanship considering her position as a sitting Secretary of State. Uh, David, this seemed like a bold partisan move with no remorse whatsoever. Like, yeah, I did it, and what are you going to make about it? Um, that seemed pretty uh, different when it comes to a se- especially a Secretary of State position. But again, is this just politics in 2019? Well, of course, it's the total opposite of the tone that, that Wayne Williams and most of his predecessors set for this office, which, among other things, runs elections, so needs to be uh, actually be and be perceived as, as fair and impartial. But in, in terms of what it was set out to do, which was get her a lot of attention, it was a brilliantly successful move. Here we are talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, today's Denver Post uh, mentioned it in their, their story on the, the Senate race. Uh, in terms of the substance, not that much. Uh, as uh, television investigations revealed, in the past three years, there have only been two employees who have gone from, her, from the Secretary of State's office who have gone to Alabama, um, and the thing that she is boycotting now, which is election uh, procedure training, the institute in Alabama that runs it is going, holds these events around the country as well. There's going to be one in November, so she shouldn't, they shouldn't be traveling anyway, just as a matter of thrift. They can go to the, the one in, in Denver uh, in November. Her letter said that she wants this election institute to move from Alabama, and she apparently didn't realize, as the institute explained, well, actually, we use a lot of faculty from Auburn University, so we're, we're going to stay here. Um, we also did learn, since her press release was edited by Planned Parenthood, that the proper uh, talk, key words to say, you're not supposed to say pro-choice or right to choose anymore. Now the preferred phrase is to say reproductive health care. Joey, well, the, the session is finished. Uh, there's not a, the capital's not filled with elected leaders right now. I imagine you're able to get the, uh, at least the take from a few of them. What did you, what, what kind of take do you feel that other elected leaders or other folks in Colorado's political community reacted to something that was pretty blatantly partisan? Well, nobody was that surprised. You know, I'm not that surprised. And I'm from Alabama. You're not missing anything if you don't go there. So the, um, but, you know, I'm not surprised that Jenna Griswold did this. I mean, when she was running last year, I remember I moderated a debate, and she's up there talking about Roe v. Wade instead of elections and, and small businesses. So this is who she is. But the one thing this definitely does is, it, you know, Democrats can dry up their crocodile tears over all, that they, all the tears they shed over Scott Gessler going to the Republican National Convention in 2012 while he just happened to be in Florida on the taxpayer's dime. You know, how's this any different? These are two people who run elections who shouldn't be playing politics, but yet here they are. Maybe we were spoiled the last four years with Wayne Williams, who seemed to be an apolitical um, um, secretary of state, even though he had been a Republican Party chairman for El Paso County. I don't know. And with Donald Trump in the White House, I think these are the political games we pay now. You know, no harm, no foul, no surprise.
Natasha, what do you think about that? Is this breaking the norm or is this setting a new norm for a position that's usually uh, at least uh, a part, not partisan? Well, as you've already brought up twice at this table, 2019 is a totally different brand of politics. So um, I think that maybe is just part of the new normal. What I think is interesting, just to, to flip the conversation a little bit, um, is that as soon as the 2016 presidential election happened, pro-right, pro-life, um, pro-choice, reproductive rights, whatever you want to call the groups have, have been raising red flags and concerns about how this conversation is not done. And it isn't. We're just starting to see conversations about a, a reproductive rights happening in this country. And this is going to be something we're going to talk about this table again and again and again. This is something that will probably go back to the Supreme Court. This is a conversation that, um, while it felt like maybe it had quieted down for a few years, is back front, front and center. Patty, what did you think of Griswold's reaction to, yeah, I did it, so, you know, what are you going to do about it kind of thing? And I'm, I'm, so that's not what she actually said. That's just the attitude that I perceived from her reaction. What did you perceive? Well, I would think you could be a little more apologetic about showing a press release to a partisan group, even though it's a partisan group I like, Planned Parenthood, that you shouldn't be doing that. But on the other hand, why are we even talking about boycotting basically Alabama. Are we going to stop Georgia peanuts from coming into this state because we they also have come up with a pretty draconian reproductive health law? Is that is that the correct term? Remember 1992 when we had we were suddenly the hate state and people around the country were saying don't travel to Colorado, don't do this. I'm not sure that the solution to getting people to change their minds is to threaten a boycott, especially at state government. That the quid pro quo is very dangerous. I think we will probably ultimately see relief at the Supreme Court. Brian Moss of CBS4 reported this week that delays at the con- at, for the construction of the Great Hall at Denver International Airport are even more behind schedule and over budget than previously reported. Great Hall partners estimate that the project will be delayed by three and a half years and have cost overruns of over $300 million. Joey, I gotta believe, even my most optimistic, naive point, uh, that this is going to be just a complete mess, not only for the airport and people to navigate for the next how many ever years, but also eventually for Mayor Hancock and City Hall. What do you think? Yeah, I think the timing is really bad for uh, for uh, Michael Hancock. And if I was Jamie Gillis, I would be out there beating that drum loudly. You know, the conspiracy theory is is that the Illuminati is based at Denver International Airport, and this really shakes my faith in the competence of the Illuminati. I think the New World <laughs> Order is a long way from happening. So, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, why can't DIA get it right? You know, we spend so much. It's such a great facility. You know, half of America flies through there at some point of the year, and yet we can't do this, just the basics of, of being on time and under budget. I'm confused. I don't understand why this keeps happening at DIA. It has to be the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that it has shook your faith in the Illuminati is, it just sees the, the magnitude of this uh, issue, Joey. Uh, Natasha, this is, uh, I, I guess, from what I can glean, a, a public-private partnership. There's, it, it's a pretty big deal, and it says there's more and more things to be done at the airport. Does this tend to put a more critical eye towards other projects like this, what the city is bound to have in the future? Yes because we will have more big projects like this in the future. I, I, I see this in great reporting by CBS.
CBS4, by the way, following through on this. Um, it's, it's good information um, for people in Denver. But I, I just have to chuckle anytime I look at it because I think anyone who's done a home renovation project knows you start tearing things open and who knows. What's interesting, though, is that we've gone well beyond the cement question and we're moving into where there are too many change orders, what are what things are being spent money on. This is, this is now into the pointing fingers stage where I think we're going to find out a lot more about what's happening in, in the actual project. And that's only good. That's only good. Denverite should know where their money is going. Um, but I think we're also kind of stuck in this moment. I mean, we've seen those pictures of rubble at TIA right now. Something has to be done with those. So whether that takes one year or two years or even more, um, we're going to have to keep mo- rolling forward. I'm expecting that contractor from the movie Money Pit to come out. It's two weeks. Just two weeks. Uh, Patty, we have a DA under construction for several years in the future. I-70 is about to be a complete quagmire. People in, around Denver and even the suburbs, their whole travel and experience to going to DIA for the next several years is going to be an absolute nightmare. Uh, what can or should be done at this point to address something like this? Well, we should have looked a lot closer, and I would say Mayor Webb should have kept a closer eye on what was happening at DIA. Let's remember that a lot of people didn't think this was a great renovation either. Do we really need a major shopping mall in the Great Hall, which has been is uh, iconic now because of the tent roof? We're going to redo that. It's not just for safety, which is how it was built with the city council a couple of years ago. It's going to be a giant shopping mall, and that the concrete that was originally poured there wasn't designed to hold a giant shopping mall should not have been a surprise. We should not be finding out more and more about that problems with the plan now when we've got now an extra two-plus years on the project. Anyone who's been flying in and out of DIA lately knows it's no bonus. Then we'll also get the I-70 pleasure, too. Uh, David, wrap it up for us. This, I mean, at some point, is there a place where there, that Denver, if they chose to, to hit some sort of reset button to figure out if this is still a good idea? You don't need a reset button for that. Uh, ruining an airport to build a shopping mall is not a good idea. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't need an extensive study on that. If you look into the future, we're, we're electing a new mayor, mayor of Denver. That mayor will serve one term of four years. And then in 2023, we'll have another election, and whoever wins that will then be, you know, a couple years into the term. And by this point, we may have, if things go right, a space station orbiting the moon. And with all that going on, this project still won't be finished. It is a catastrophe for anybody who travels through DIA. It makes mobility within levels five and six of the main terminal area extremely difficult, and that's just going to go on and on and on for no public benefit for the purpose of a shopping mall. Mayor Hancock is the most destructive mayor in terms of transportation in the city's history by far. He's the only mayor ever who actually tries to cause traffic jams, and in that regard, he's been quite successful. (laughs) Well, it is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, to bring politics closer to home, we have the the district attorney's office just filed charges against Cynthia McKay from the Denver School of the Arts for embezzlement. That's a, the Denver School of the Arts is a great, great project. It's done so well, great graduates, and she's being charged with embezzling $55,000 coming from it. So we have to pay attention to very small positions in this city and big ones. 
David. Well, Donald Trump has refuted the idea that he has the emotional maturity of a 13-year-old girl because he's now at the level of a six-year-old boy where he called his former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson stupid. You may criticize Mr. Tillerson for many things, but he's uh, plainly not a stupid man, and this shows the pathetic fragility of Trump's ego. Joey. Well, Dave and I are ganging up on Donald Trump today. You know, the, the administration continues to quietly whittle away at conservation and natural resources, and I don't think any Republican in the West uh, thinks that's a good idea. I guarantee you Cory Gardner doesn't think it's a good idea. Natasha. Maybe we'll call this this despair of the week instead. Um, you know, it is so hard to grow trees in Denver <laughs> to begin with. It, after the storms this week, if you drove through any of our historic neighborhoods and saw the down limbs, it was just very, very sad to see that damage. Yeah, t- tough year to start for the trees. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? I have two somebodies to say no- something nice about both recent losses. Alan Roth, if you've ever been to Herman's Hideaway, on South Broadway. He turned it into a great rock and roll club. He, always a charming fellow, great support of local and national bands, and he will be missed, but Herman's will survive. And ironically, he lived in the same um, retirement community where Billy Bramhall lived. Billy Bramhall worked for the city of Denver, had been really active recently since her retirement in helping with the homeless. She was a lovely woman and a real civic person, so we're sad to lose both of them. David. Denver voters, besides voting for mayor, have the opportunity to vote for uh, Initiative 302, which will say no Denver City taxpayer funding for the Olympics unless the voters consent. Joey. The Colorado Farm Bureau. They were in Washington yesterday to argue for expanding trade in Indo-Pacific countries. And uh, if we want to have a thriving agriculture industry in Colorado, it's people doing this kind of work that's going to stay, save it. Natasha. Colorado-based Robert F. Smith, he gave the commencement speech at Morehouse College and offered to pay off the debt of the graduates. Um, it's a pretty incredible and noble effort. Yeah, that was pretty cool. You, you can tell it took a little bit of time for the graduates to, for it to sink in. Like, wait a second, what just happened? Uh, I also want to say something nice uh, about a couple of guests we have in our control room right now. We're able to get joined uh, by uh, Mrs. Shirley Calhoun and her daughter, Susan Nickel. We are grateful to have both of our special guests with us. It's uh, always a special treat to have part of the Calhoun group with us. So thank you for joining us. I also want to announce some good news. Colorado Inside Out was nominated for an Emmy last night. Our time machine trip to 1968 becomes our our 11th nomination uh, for our Humble Series. We are grateful for all of your support uh, of our show that helped make that happen. I would also uh, be remiss if I didn't congratulate our colleagues who also were able to get an Emmy nomination, which include our colleagues on the Street Level Program, the special we did at Leadville, and uh, we also had our colleagues Pam Parker and Richard Taylor who were also nominated. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for the July Awards. Also a good time for me to tell you about the next season of Street Level is on its way. That's going to be coming up in June. Please keep a lookout for that, Street Level Startups. And later tonight, 9 p.m., we'll be featuring our Mayor's Debate. Now, it's going to be uh, uh, kind of a cool blast for past for folks because it was the very first debate recorded in the season. So everyone's really quite nice, and but it's still pretty <laughs> informative. Uh, I think it'll be a refreshing change from the tone that we heard this week. And that is, again, tonight at 9 o'clock featuring uh, Jamie Gillis, Mayor Hancock, uh, Sean Boyd, Eric Sonderman, and yours truly. So, with all of those great announcements, I hope you're able to tune in, and thanks again for your support that makes all that happen. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.
Thank you.